we are exploring technological, the, the edge of technologies here that, that will fundamentally change our minds, like the, the, the things that make us us, right? And, um, and our bodies, like genetically speaking. And so they are, they are different from other previous technologies. And, the, and the, the problems aren't different though. <laughs> They're kind of the same, same old, same old, but um, that's why I'm trying to get past, I'm trying to look at the meta problem, right? Beyond like, how do we address a particular problem with a particular kind of technology the way, and, and really it's just about empowering people uh, to think better. <laughs> basically. All right. So Emil, thank you for being here. Yeah. Looking forward to this. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, we'll just start out. You're the founder of at least two companies, uh, Dangerous Things and, and Vivoki. Yeah. So could you maybe just tell us a little bit about like the origin of these companies in terms of your, your personal journey? Like, how did you come to this and what, what's, what's kind of the driving force behind all of this for you? Oh, sure, sure. <clears throat> yeah, so um, in 2005, a long time ago now, um, I was working in IT. I was working in the medical industry in particular, just um, helping doctors and clinics that were too small to have a full-time IT person, but too big to not need one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, be, basically, you know, HIPAA compliance had just become a thing. There were a lot of the clinics that were just struggling. And so we were setting up managed services to you know, help manage their IT infrastructure and things like that. And I was working in a basement office uh, of one of these clinics. And being a basement office, it, it had a door that was kind of half underground, half above ground, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like a down in a stairwell. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> it was an emergency exit. It wasn't meant for egress, ingress. You know, normally it was supposed to never be used, basically. But it was literally behind me, you know, like the door right behind my desk. Mm -hmm. And the alternative was going through the building and up a bunch of stairs. And then if it was after hours, de dealing with the alarm system, it was really a pain in the butt. So instead of all that, I was like, man, I really want to use this door. So I was going in and out of it regularly. But because it was a, an emergency door, it had a crash bar thing you, pr you press. You couldn't really leave it unlocked. It was, it was just always locked. Whenever mm -hmm. it's shut, it's locked. And so... Um, you know, if I didn't bring my keys with me every time, it would just shut. And then if it was after hours, I'd be really out of luck. And uh, I'd have to call somebody and somebody really unhappy would have to get out of bed and come <laughs> come down to this to building. And that happened a few times and a few too many times. So I was like, man, I just need this door to know that it's me as I'm like approaching it. Right. And so I kind of looked at different ideas and like thought about like, what about biometrics? What about like an iris scanner or a fingerprint reader or something fancy like that? Uh, because the goal is to get rid of the keys. Like I didn't want to have to manage this big, and it was a big set of keys because I was dealing with all these different buildings and so it was very unmanageable. <clears throat> and so, you know, biometrics were like, yeah, okay, we could try this, uh, but they were very expensive. Uh, they weren't very robust, particularly for outdoor applications. Um, install, installing it was going to be a nightmare. Like everything, everything was just bad about it. And it's still kind of that way. Um, <clears throat> but you know, the, the alternative RFID was, you know, you just stick a little reader on the door frame and a little electronic strike in the door and away you go. Like, mm -hmm. there you go. It's, it's all you need. So robust technology, cheap, easy to deploy, reliable. Right. Um, but it didn't really solve my problem. The key card was still something I needed to carry 
And if I had left my wallet or whatever, like I didn't have it, it didn't really solve the issue. And so I thought about it for a little bit and then <clears throat> I realized, hey, dogs and cats have been getting these RFID transponders for a long time. Let's start looking into this technology. And I found that um, I didn't want to get a pet, a pet chip for a couple of reasons. Um, but what I was able to do is talk to the company that made some of them. And I said, hey, do you make the same product, but with a different chip inside, right? A different silicon chip. And they said, oh yeah, we make them, these, these, these. And I said, okay, great. But it's the same material as the animal one. And I said, yeah, but you don't want to put it in an animal. And I said, oh, why not? I said, well, it's not the right protocol. The animal readers won't read it. And I said, ah, that's fine. I, that, I got that covered. <laughs> that part <laughs> I'm covered. I just need to know that the material is safe. And um, <clears throat> so I ordered some samples, talked to some doctors who were clients of mine. So I had plenty of doctors to talk to. And uh, yeah, by the time they arrived, I'd already built a little access control system for the door. And my family doctor was like, yeah, I'll, that sounds great. Let's do it. So he just, you know, we took a pet chip ejector with the chip inside, mm -hmm. uh, got rid of the animal chip, sterilized the sample from this company in a, an autoclave that they had, stuck it in the, you know, in the syringe and away you go, put it in and immediately was using it and it was no problem at all. So um, everything was flying along just fine. And then uh, without even thinking about it, I had my, one of my friends come to the office and I kind of swiped in with my hand and he's like, whoa, 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 what was that? What did you, what just happened? Because he noticed I didn't have anything in my hand. He's like rubbing his hand over the, the reader he's like what is this and uh so he he took out his you know digital camera because this was you know 2005 no no phones had cameras so mm -hmm. he's like do that again and he took some pictures and uh but then he posted them somewhere and i think they went either on like a, a blog or something called boing boing or slash dot one of those two but anyway it got up online and then i had <clears throat> you know just kind of a flood of people contacting me and then um the first interview request actually came from um, a body modification zine, um, mm. which was very interesting. So BME zine, uh, this guy contacted me from there and uh, was just super interested in this kind of new form of body modification. And uh, so we talked at length about the technology and why I did it and blah, 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 and all that. And um, from there, it just kind of blew up. And uh, I got like, Wiley Publishing eventually contacted me to write a book about RFID technology for home hobbyists. Mm -hmm. I wish I did that. And then I think there's one page in the back of the book dedicated to implants, but the whole rest of the book is just RFID in general. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but then, you know, as time went on, more and more people, I did a lot of media um, in that time, but, you know, not a lot of people were wanting to follow suit at the time. And mm -hmm. uh, as 2008, 2009, 2010 rolled around, you know, the idea of, you know, open source hardware, Arduino, building things again, the, the maker movement really mm -hmm. started to become a thing. We went to the first maker fair um, and uh, I showed off the chips and sold some books and, you know, people are really getting back in, back into the kind of like electronics can be fun and we can build this in our garage kind of approach. And because of that, <clears throat> there was a lot of interest and renewed interest in RFID uh, technology for home hobbyists. And then from that, implantables. And so, you know, by 2012, I was getting a lot of emails. And um, the internet being what it is, though, it started to spider, right? And so, like, there were people just seeing that people were doing this online or that I had done it or other people had kind of grabbed a pet chip and 
done it themselves, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so it was kind of getting lost. And there was there was some bad uh, things that were starting to happen. People were getting infections and not doing it right and like sourcing bizarre industrial chips that were not safe for implantation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're meant for like embedding in the plastic and stuff. And, uh, you know, so I was like, well, um, either I can ignore all this, just ignore it and keep doing my thing. Or I can try to like start addressing some of these emails and, and wrap a business model around it and really promote the goal, two goals really, of making sure the things that we sold were safe and tested and, you know, good. And then the, the in- installation procedure itself was good as well. Mm-hmm. Like they were following at least at the very least following a guide of some kind, you know, um, <laughs> but we rapidly figured out like after launching dangerous things uh, right at the start of 2013, rapidly figured out that providing a guide doesn't really matter because uh, a lot of people that are very excited about things, they still, the guide is insufficient, right? Like cross-contamination is so easy if you don't understand how it works or you've never bothered to track what exactly you're touching and where and how. And, you know, trust me, like pre-pandemic, nobody really did any of that. <laughs> like yeah. nobody really even gave it a second thought. So um, so we immediately uh, just said, well, scratch that. We're going to partner with body piercers because piercers work with needles and skin, aseptic procedures, second nature. They work out of bonded studios. They have autoclaves. They're very, you know, they understand it. So mm-hmm. um, that that was very successful. So we built a, and continue to build a partner network of professional piercers and and all of that. And then, um, you know, over time, 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, uh, by 2017, we started to get fundamentally different questions from, from customers. Mm-hmm. Um, the first initial customers were very technically oriented. They were like, where's the code sample? Uh, you know, what kind of, you know, protocols this use? I need to talk to this reader. Uh, but by 2016, 17, the type of customer really started to change. And they were asking like, oh, this is cool. I you know, I'm thinking about getting maybe an ear piercing or maybe a tattoo or a chip or something. Like what, what can I do with the chip? You know, what kind wow. of cool things can I do? And so can we, can we became, pause there one sec? Like what? Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to understand the mentality that equates a piercing and a tattoo and a, a chip implant. Like how are sure, those yeah. seen as the same thing? Um, well, I think that, you know, you can see the transition of piercings and tattoos in society, right? Um, you can see this happen over the course of like many decades, but still like it used to be only, you know, bad people got tattoos of piercings and they were very kind of subcultury and, you know, it was a very definite line. And now mm-hmm. it's like school moms are getting tattoos and like nose rings and stuff. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's very commonplace. It's just lost its edge because yeah. society's like, yeah, okay. That's an acceptable form of, you know, we got, we got breast implants, we got, you know, eye lifts, why not nose rings and tattoos? Like it just, it's just in that same, you know, kind of cadre of personal expression or whatever. And so, um, but just like that, you know, in 2005, simply being exposed to that idea generated a very visceral response from everybody. Like Mm. I would tell them, oh yeah, I have a computer chip and 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 pretty much everybody, oh, you are crazy. And this is should be illegal and it's the devil's work and the government's going to get you. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we did, uh, you know, I, I personally received many death threats early on. Wow. And, um, and so I, I remember the first kind of negative email that I got, it was just from this, um, I presume woman who 
had some email address, I forget what it is now, but it was just in large font and no sign, it just the words, you are the devil's mouthpiece in large font. And so I was like, oh, this is interesting. So then I printed that out and put it on my wall. Uh, <laughs> kind of like the first business, you know, puts their first dollar on the wall. That was my first email. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, I put that up and, and uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. So, so, so the, the, the logic the, from, I mean, I assume you've gotten a diverse array of death threats, but like oh, what, sure, what sure. is the, <laughs> is there like an underlying logic behind it? Like you're, you're playing God, you're, this is. Oh, the, trust me. They are not entering this. They're not entering a conversation for intelligent discourse. They are just okay. blurting out, uh, Ugh, don't like you bad <laughs> chips, bad. And then that's it. Like okay. even trying to engage, it's like results in nothing. So, okay. um, okay. yeah, it's not even worth discussing, but, um, um, you know, I have had some conversations with people who did, who were interested in discussing it and pretty much all those conversations end with the person going, oh, okay. I didn't really realize what the technology was or how it worked or, uh, it's fine. I mean, good for you. I'm not going to do it, but whatever, <laughs> you know, like yeah. very, very kind of disarming, you know, learning about a thing. And I think at some level, I think some people understand that and they kind of flat out refuse to learn about it because they're mm -hmm. like i just want it to be the bad thing and that's gonna you're gonna play the role of the bad person and mm -hmm. i don't want you to, to change that so whatever yeah. but um but you know the the point being over time you know particularly being in media you know pretty constantly early on i mean it was a lot and so i mean it was on live on good morning america like talking about chip implants you know kind of coverage Mm -hmm. And uh, that exposes a society to this idea, this concept. And so many, many articles and even other groups, like there's this article that circulates almost every year. Everybody in Sweden's getting chipped. And yeah, there was like a small event and then, there's, you know, some people got chipped, but now it's like the article was written and put to the AP that everyone in Sweden is chipped and they're all using it to pay, which is both things are patently false, but but it's interesting and it grabs eyeballs. And so that circulates every year. But to the point that that is part of this maelstrom of exposure, right? Yeah. And so by 2016, 2017, that exposure had done its job. And you know, people were starting to consider this type or young people to be to be fair, but you know, they're starting to consider this to be an option. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I, I want to do something cool like get an ear piercing or a body piercing of some kind or maybe a tattoo or a chip i've heard people are getting chips this is cool what is this mm -hmm. so um that's how it happens like you know just yeah. through exposure and um you know meaning you know people actually wanting to learn about it because you know up until then or even still today like there's new shows coming out all the time even severance i mean um we we sold glass to the prop guy um to make some of the thing, the chip implant that's featured on Severance. Okay. Um, I don't think the actual glass we sold him made it to the thing, but he built his prototypes based on that. Yeah. And, um, but of course the whole thing is, and every TV and movie, uh, you know, TV show, it's always negative. It's a liability for every, so anyone who has a chip implant, it's always a bad thing. You're going to yeah. get a missile shot at you. You're tracked, you know, all this wild outlandish technology that or these capabilities that are just fictitious, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's the public's education, 
about this kind of technology. That's the only source they have for right. any kind of education. And so, um, you know, you, you get fed this narrative from every single bad sci-fi writer who's, who's like, the chip implant will get you. Um, and then you come across it in real life. Oh, people are actually really getting chip implants. This has to be bad, right? That's all I've ever heard about it. And so um, there are people that just don't want to engage at all. And then, yeah, when, when we actually do talk to people, uh, you know, but I, I mean, it's very deep and it's very strong because I've had, I've had a whole conversation with people the whole time and talking about what the technology is really capable of and what it's not and all that stuff. And we've gone for, you know, hour plus in this conversation and then kind of like the sign off at the end is, oh, well, your wife can track you now. You know, I'm like, no, I would just spend an hour saying that this is not the case. What are you doing? Yeah. Like, that's going to be your closing hook for the for the thing you're working on. You just couldn't let the facts derail your thing that you wanted to say. Yeah. So it, it can become irritating, but, um, you know, it's very strong. So <clears throat> so we have those conversations quite a lot with people that um, that are that have those concerns. And um, if they do engage, then usually they become somewhat disarmed and they're like, oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're, you're hitting on a, a really crucial point in terms of the way we as, as humans sort of make decisions, which is, you know, we're humans, but, but we're animals and we're, we're deeply emotional. And I mean, on both sides of the spectrum, what you're describing is a just very sort of visceral reaction of either like, oh, th this is bad. I don't like it. Or this is cool. I want it. And it, in neither case is it there isn't a clear connection to like rational thought there. No. <laughs> sure. I do. There is a big middle ground though. I mean, those are the two extremes. Um, the big middle ground though, is our typical customer who mm. will come to the site or they'll figure out something and get that gets them on our site. And we have analytics to show this, like the typical time frame between discovering the site and then making a purchase is like 45 days. And they're like, they're coming and they're clicking around, they're reading, they're going off to the forum, they're lurking, they're hearing, looking at messages, they're trying to learn stuff. Um, and then when they're satisfied, then they, then they buy. So <clears throat> there are people that buy immediately without doing any research. And that's a little scary, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, but yeah, most people like the, the time frame from discovering this stuff and, and then actually figuring out that the, yes, they want to make a purchase is quite long. And so that's good. Like, that's a good thing. And we, you know, we just wish they would engage more uh, rather than just kind of silently lurk because the community that has built up around, particularly in the forum on dangerous mm -hmm. things, that community is probably the most important thing and the most valuable thing. Um, and I say important because <clears throat> I kind of, um, you know, <clears throat> It, it, it dangerous things and Viva Key, they're, they're businesses, but they're kind of like become uh, part of like my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not, it's not a, um, it's not an easy business whatsoever to try to sell chip implants to humans. That is the hardest business you could ever try to try to imagine, right? Like uh, it's rough. It's a rough one. So, uh, but it's because of the community uh, of people who, like believe in the future, they have hope for humanity. Like there's really powerful things going on uh, in the minds of, of people who are interested in this kind of thing, human augmentation 
and um, you know, that's, that's been the biggest reward. Um, other than the fact that like, I can actually feed my family uh, and, you know, get by uh, yeah. and actually kind of develop new things along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not a lavish <laughs> lifestyle by any means, but it's, it's definitely awesome. It's, it's uh, I, I don't think I would really want to do anything else. Yeah. Uh, than this kind of stuff and dealing particularly with the people that um, that are encouraging like so multiple products actually have come about because people on the forum were like hey wouldn't it be cool to do this or hey let's check this out and then I'm just flat out I like say here are the problems that I'm having like who can solve that <laughs> you know and like somebody yeah. will say "Ooh, have you checked this out I'm like holy shit okay that yeah let's check that out and like yeah more than once uh, a product has become a thing mm-hmm. because of this kind of community approach to, Hey, can we get this done? And, um, yeah, it's just like, it's the most rewarding aspect of, of running the business. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say I've, I've engaged a bit on the dangerous things forum and it seems like there's a really high density of thoughtful, intelligent people who, who, as you say, are just excited and, and thinking critically about these, these issues in a, in a creative way. You know, for sure, so yeah. I think that's, that's great. You know, I think for, for me personally, like, the technology as it stands in terms of you know identification authentication that doesn't pose any sort of immediate moral quandaries for me but mm. in terms of where this is leading i think that's where it gets really interesting and very fraught you know ethically sure, sure. ecologically sure. um and it's i guess i guess yeah i just i see what you're doing as a sort of inevitable step in, in a direction that we as a species are going, right? Where mm-hmm. the fusion between biological and technological systems is just, it's more and more integrated into our daily life, right? Yeah. And it's just a, it's matter, just a matter of time. It's just a matter of course, like, yeah. 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 And and I wanna point out that <clears throat> I have no problem discussing slippery slope type, type where is it going kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but so many people have um, demonstrated their imp- incapable of separating those two things like what's Mm -hmm. the reality now versus Mm -hmm. the literal uh infinite pandora's box you can open if you're like well what if and where could it go like to try to tie those two things together like you should stop doing what you're doing now because what if Mm -hmm. tomorrow we have a chip that can enslave minds like that's a hell of a leap like you know what i mean but but people um make that leap constantly or or in in any way they start to have this like what you're doing now is bad because tomorrow it could mm-hmm. and and i'm like yeah but the thing you buy today isn't doing that so what do you you know the, the, it's important to understand that having a slippery slope conversation opens it up to to every every possibility under the sun mm-hmm. there there is no limit and so it makes the whole conversation moot if you're trying to tie it back to kind of like abstinence of, or kind of derailing it, the best we can do, and I'll say this to anybody who has a thing, is like the best we can do is guide things as they develop. Like mm-hmm. guide the guide the rocket. It's a rocket. It's on fire. Like humans, humans. Uh, if you wanted to like define humanity, it's like the curiosity that drives us to be better, faster, stronger, harder regardless like if it's possible we want to try it we want to explore it somebody does Mm -hmm. and that's the point is like you're not going to squelch that you're not going to stop that rocket so put some fins on it that's the best you can do 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when it comes to like technology moratoriums, it doesn't work. Like we, we've seen like clone babies in China and like, you know, genetically engineered babies and like it, you cannot, and this is just the stuff you know about. I'm sure that it's happened. Like, I'm sure that there's these things have happened because it's the only thing that had stopped them is this moratorium. So that, that doesn't mm-hmm. stop the technology. It just stops people discussing it, but it's yeah. still being developed. I guarantee it. So, so rather than try to put this, put the brakes on something that's totally fine today, we have worries about tomorrow, then you, you, you're better off trying to get involved and guide the development of it so that it doesn't become a problem. But, but say, having said that, um, yeah, there's like tons to talk about, <laughs> you know, in the what if category, like there's, it could go all over the place. And, and it's very fun to do that if it's, if it's in the right, uh, you know, spirit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just, I, I'd love to get into that. And I also, I, I really appreciate uh, your perspective there. I think that that definitely aligns with where I'm coming from, because I think even, you know, the, the people who are ostensibly experts in this often tend toward sensationalism and just these, these grand statements that I'm sure mm-hmm. it's great for, for views and sales and whatnot, but sure. I think it's really doing us a disservice as a species because this is coming, it's coming very quickly. And if we don't develop a mature dialogue around what actually matters, like it's, yeah. it's, we're not improving things, you know? And yeah. so and I, I will say this, there, there's, there's something else to, to, to be said there because um, there's been some frustration um, expressed by people in the forum or, or, or just other people who are like, um, they don't like that kind of, um, I wouldn't say blatant sensationalism, but like grandiose vision statements, like again, mm-hmm. being, being very careful to, to not say you're overpromising on the technology of today, but you're discussing a grander vision, right? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the things that, that are important, I, I think that it is important to, to have people who are engaged in that kind of larger thought um, and the people who support them. Like some people, you know, are like, it, it, particularly in the like larger scope biohacking community, they're, they're like, oh, I just hate all these people that come in, they have no idea what what's going on or what's possible or how to even do anything. And they just, they're super excited and they want to be, you know, Superman tomorrow. And they're just annoying. And like, they don't have anything to contribute. And, and I'm saying, well, yeah, but um, you need to also uh, acknowledge that just like, you know, people growing up, kids growing up watching Star Trek, right. And getting excited about the future and then developing the future. Like, that happens multiple times, like things from start, like the needleless injector. Um, that's that's a real thing, and it was it was inspired by science fiction. And and this is kind of I don't want to call it science fiction, but the ideas, the grander vision stuff, it is science fiction today. But it's still important to have the people that discuss things in those terms and the people that get excited about it, because even if those people who are excited can't directly contribute, they serve a larger purpose in terms of devoting energy to the idea that it should be developed or a better future should be uh, being worked on by people who can. And so I don't like to discredit those kinds of things. I I understand though, and I really don't like people who um, make false statements, just patently false, (laughs) you know, that that sucks. Um, And that does happen a lot, particularly with media or whatever, they'll purposely misquote or you know, everybody in Sweden's paying with their microchip. No, they're not. So, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. That is irritating. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, I mean, I'll tell you a story just about this real quick. It was uh, in 2018, we just launched VivoKey and had gone to London uh, in the UK to you know, talk about um, getting a chip implant made that could do payments. And mm-hmm. I had some prototypes that were um, just to see if we could talk to the terminals, the payment terminals. And, you know, we'd, we'd just gotten this um, accelerator funding uh, from, a, from an outfit there. So that's why we're there. But I was going around to different coffee shops and, and scanning this little, I pulled the chip implant, you know, it was a little glass thing in a baggie and I was like waving it over the terminal and it beep, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, oh, it worked. That's cool. Um, and so, you know, doing this, and I remember at the end, like that whole end of the trip, I'm like, I'm testing out in this coffee shop and the guy looks at it and goes, what's that? And I go, oh, it's a little thing I'm working on. He goes, is that one of those payment implants? And, and I said, yeah, but like, how do you, are you from the future? What, what, <laughs> what do you know? What are you talking about? You know, what do you, how do you even understand that? Look at this little thing in a bag and you're like, that's a payment implant. Like I just blew my mind, but it's from this kind of like over-promising um, in the media, right. About what, what was happening. And I think it wasn't even the, I mean, the Swedish article wasn't even out of the time, but it was just, um, you know, in general, there were a lot of even media interviews that I had done where totally misquoted like oh could this be used for payment in the future i said yeah probably oh chip implants are being used for payment today you know like that kind of thing um so yeah i don't like that but uh just to kind of differentiate i do like people that um have grander visions and and like to um share them yeah no definitely definitely and i guess i guess in the spirit of that um i mean the, the question that seems most urgent to me is how do you see that we could use this for the betterment of humanity rather than its destruction. Because I mean, I do think logically speaking that it's, it's, it's easy to see how both could, could happen and we'll probably sure. see tendencies in both directions. And also <laughs> like, do you have any sort of guiding principles or like how, if uh, this is definitely not the case, but if, if I were like, uh, you know, the founder of a startup today, of like, okay, I want to do some yeah. kind of like biohacking biotech thing. Like what advice would you give me? Uh, to make sure that the technology I'm developing is is going to be for the good of humanity or the planet rather than sure, its destruction. Sure. Um, well, there's no advice that can be given. I, I, I hate to be like such a Debbie Downer on this, but um, <laughs> there is no advice. I mean, because society makes its own rules as we go ahead, right? Like to try to like give advice now without being like in the now in a real situation where things are being figured out and stuff is happening like Neuralink that's being figured out and stuff's happening there that's Mm -hmm. a real thing but um you know (laughs) there's no there's no way that from my my you know armchair philosophical you know whatever it is just no um there's no real practical advice to to give it's just like google's initial mission statement don't be evil like um that's gone now google doesn't have that anymore so uh, you know like where do we go from there so you know when you're talking about um you know when you talk about where could this the 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 all-encompassing this where could this go good or bad kind of thing i think binary ism is um uh, our apes brains need to simplify everything into a choice good bad yes no um there's going to be good parts and bad parts it's like um coffee's good for you but it's also bad for you right like yeah. it's both and so just like that like technology is that it's an enabler 
use it for bad, it'll be bad. Use it for good, it could be good. So, um, and it will be, that's the thing, it will be. It'll be, there'll be great things about it and there'll be horrific things about it. Um, just like Nazi Germany, World War II, computers are great, except for when they're used to track and kill humans and like annihilate them en masse, right? Like you, you're not gonna avoid the potential good or bad uses. Um, you just have to try to deal with them as they arise because the technology is coming. That's just the bottom line. And so, um, you know, you're just going to deal with like, <laughs> I mean, let's just go, let's blow this, uh, let's blow the, the, the lid off this can here and just say like, okay, let's do like genetic engineering, right? There's going to be designer babies. There's going to be crazy rich people who are cloning their dead kids or their living kids or themselves. There's going to be all these terrible, horrific things. Absolutely. But there's also going to be amazing genetic treatments for disease. The disease will almost be a thing of the past. Maybe we'll even conquer aging. That'll bring up new challenges. Like there's just no possibility of curtailing all the bad things and only enabling the good things. It's just not possible. Um, and so you have to embrace all the negative possibilities as if they are and will occur because they will, mm -hmm. um, you know, if not in this country, some other country, right? You could go down to wherever and have your genetically modified baby down there. So, you know, <clears throat> you, you need to figure out a bigger scheme, uh, scale, really, when it comes to humanity. And I, and I, I almost faint to bring up his name, but, you know, Elon Musk thinks in these larger scope things. He doesn't, he's like, okay, well, you can't deal with the individual problems of a technology in human society. It's just not possible. So for the good of humanity, what's the best thing? Mm, let's, get them on, let's get on two planets at least, right? Mm -hmm. That's a big ass goal, but it's a huge one. And it, it's what matters because all the little things about like, oh my God, there's technology and this ruining our lives and you know, whatever, like you can't possibly control that. But what you can do is drive at a huge goal that will actually fundamentally change the life expectancy of the species, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a huge thing that he's really being serious about. And I think that's great uh, because mm -hmm. that kind of thinking and action, you know, starting SpaceX and like getting into this and like trying to sharing the patents for the electric car stuff. Like he's really doing big world things. And like he believes, you know, brain, you know, human integration with AI through neural implants is going to be a huge game changer and it's going to help maintain the species, that's the best you can do is try to find ways to solve these huge fundamental problems. So he's not even saying like, <clears throat> you know, let's try to save the earth because he understands that's not in our nature. <laughs> like we are the scorpion, the earth is the frog. We're gonna sting the shit out of it and we need two planets, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's just our nature is we use resources and we don't give a shit about long-term thinking in general. Like. We don't yeah, make policy, I, we don't do behavior, like it just doesn't work. So I, I, I hear you. And at, at the same time, I think I think there's room for a bit of pushback. Like the big picture is definitely important, but if we don't pay attention to the small scale as well and try to do things better on on Mars, say, than we've done here. Yeah. Like it's sure. not it's not a viable solution. And so so I guess for me it's like it, it's important to have both perspectives. Like on the one hand, yes, think big and don't get overly optimistic about changing human nature. Yeah. But at the same no, I time, totally like, agree. On, on the micro scale, like, like, I guess I'm interested for, for you 
specifically in your company, like how do you think about the ethical or moral implications? How do you personally try to make sure these things are are a positive force rather than a negative? Sure. So um, generally speaking, I try to maintain scope, right? Um, what are the ethical and moral issues right now? Mm-hmm. Not tomorrow's problem, but right now's problem. And so when it comes to that, <clears throat> the ethical and moral issues are safety. Like, is it, am I making sure that the materials that we use are, are bonded and, and assembled and we're not using turnkey stuff where you could throw in shit at any time? Mm-hmm. Like, are we ensuring that the sterilization process is complete? Are we ensuring people are going to partners and like really pushing people to go to a professional? Some people still choose to do self-installs. We really don't support that, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we address the, the issues of the now. Um, and right now, those issues are mundane. They're like, don't get an infection, go to a professional, <laughs> make sure the shit that we sell is good. Like, you know, it's like quality products and <clears throat> be open to the customer about, we had a couple um, situations where we had to issue a recall basically mm-hmm. for, for different reasons. And so, you know, do it. Like, don't yeah. hide behind stuff. Like, do be, be ethical in your, in your daily behavior. That's the important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the bigger questions about ethics and morality, um, we're only barely scuffing the edge of that kind of stuff. I mean, and not really, um, you know, because those kind of you, what you're implying is like, how do we make sure that like we're not, uh, you know, tracking people around or whatever? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and the technology is not capable of tracking, so that's not a it's not it's moot, right? We don't mm-hmm. need to worry about that moral or ethical dilemma now. Have I thought about how I would handle that in the future when we can, <clears throat> you know, build a tracking implant? Yes, I've thought about that, and um, I think I've come up with a pretty good solution. But um, but when it comes to, you know, making sure that uh, I, I would say this probably the closest thing to a, a, a moral or an ethical idea uh, that we've explored. Uh, on that on that scale is the idea of uh, co- uh, companies, right? Companies buying or incentivizing getting an implant for the employee. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> we've been very clear with the, with the companies that have come to us about such a thing to say, you need to be very understanding and very clear that this, um, this has bottom line impacts for your business because any business of any you know size over you know mid 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 to enterprise mid sized to enterprise business. They have to hire people to handle um, credential loss. So people losing a, a badge or worse, like a security token for their laptop or whatever, like, or sometimes the laptop gets stolen with the security token, right? Data loss. Like there's whole teams that are employed to deal with this and there's productivity loss when somebody loses those, those things. And so there is an incentive for companies to explore this kind of technology, but it's been, we've been very clear up front and saying you cannot as the company own any part of it. It has to entirely be owned by the customer or the, the employee, you know? So it's like a perk. Mm-hmm. You would buy a company, uh, buy an employee a, 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 a phone or a whatever, but you you would give that to them. It's not, it's their property. It's not the company's property. It's a, it's a bonus, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, many companies used to issue phones and laptops before such things were commonplace. And now employees just bring their own. So BYOD, bring your own device. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of promote the idea of bring your own identity. And so in very much the same way, if the employee didn't have an implant and the company wanted to incentivize that, great. But 
it needs to be the employee's property at the end of the day. And when they leave the company or if they do, they are free and clear to do so. And there's no part of the operation of the implant or anything that is tied to the company. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, if you want to expand that into possible futures, that is interesting because, you know, now we're talking about like brain integrated, you know, AI connected digital neurons that might be those neurons, those things that your brain are talking to, AIs, plans, machine learning algorithms, whatever, all that stuff could be company property. Mm-hmm. And the interface to make that possible might be sponsored by the company. But when you leave, you're leaving with that device that's yours now. Um, but all the stuff that your intelligence went into creating, just like any asset or intellectual property, is the company's property. And so when we're dealing with you know, deliverables, like your graphic designer and you providing logos, whatever it is you're working on. Those assets are the companies, right? They mm-hmm. pay you to do that. It's their company property. It gets weird, but no, really no different. It just gets weirder when you start talking about stuff like, oh, I interacted with the company mainframe, you know, and the brain trust, like literally, <laughs> like could be called the brain trust. And my literal thoughts and like thinking uh, through this interlink um, formed part of the company algorithm to whatever right mm-hmm. and then when you leave are you gonna you're are you feeling as if part of you is now lost mm-hmm. right and um and i think that will be a, a serious consideration but i don't think there's an ethical issue with with that if everybody understands that's how it's going to work right and they all everybody agrees yeah. um the The weird thing is like, that's already kind of happening with the idea of human augmentation. This is where the philosophical line between, um, you know, a chip implant versus a tool that you carry, uh, like a phone or something. There's Mm -hmm. there's a psychological and a philosophical difference. And the psychological difference is quite powerful, actually, more powerful than I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when, when you kind of come to expect... When you, when you have a tool, like any tool, you pick it up, you wear it, you put it on, whatever, it's very powerful, but it's, it's not, you don't consider it to be part of who you are as a human and your human capabilities within the universe you operate in, right? Like it's, yeah. it's a thing that you've picked up. And <clears throat> no matter how attached you are to the interactions that you can do through that device, um, it's still not part of you. And, and when you have a really well-designed augmentation that doesn't require a lot of management, doesn't feel foreign to, to just exist with. Um, like the chip implants we have are very much like your kidneys. They're working hard for you, but you don't give them a second thought until there's a problem with them. And then you're like, oh shit. <laughs> you know. So um, in much the same way, these chip implants function that way. They, they go in, they, you don't feel them, you don't interact with them until you use them. And then you do the thing that you do with them and then you're done. And it becomes very... On one hand, very like, um, just so commonplace. It's just like, yeah, it's just the thing that I'm doing. But on the other hand, there's still like this weird element of magic that you feel when you kind of do these things that other people can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I once had uh, an implant in my right hand that was a, a temporary thing. It was for testing, and then it, um, it stopped working. And there was a super like 
very uh, um, tangible sense of loss. Like I, oh, it's, uh, I don't know if you ever see like Star Trek, the next generation, but like there's a scene one and probably happened multiple times in the, in the series, but where the captain's walking toward the doors, you know, phew, the automatic doors and they don't open because the computer's not, not responding to anything. And he's like, he basically bounces off the doors and he kind of like, he's shocked. Like yeah. what? Uh, that's the, that was the sense that I had when, when I kind of lost that functionality and it was kind of bizarre. So um, it's only going to get even crazier when we have like connectivity issues between our biological brains and the digital expanse that we are interacting with on such an intimate level. Yeah. So. I, sp I spoke the other day with, with Neil Harbison, who I'm sure, you know, he's like the first mm -hmm. officially recognized cyborg. And he, he yeah. spoke about his, his sense of identity where he feels like yeah, I'm not, I'm not digital and I'm not human. I'm, I'm a mix, you know, and it's, it really feels like, like a part of him. And, and I think he has an interesting concept, which is cyborg, like PSY Borg, like a psychological mm. Borg mm. in that many people do to some extent identify with their phones or with their Instagram account or whatever it is. And, and even though that it's an external device and it's, you know, not inherently in your body, I think a lot of people do feel identified with their their devices and the capabilities that it, it gives to them you know and oh, for whether sure. it's remembering for sure. things or communicating or like producing your yeah. your digital image or whatever it, it definitely augments your interaction with the world around you and and all of that um i i would challenge them though it's like the difference between having a dog as a couple and then having a kid like mm -hmm. dog is suddenly like oh you're just a dog <laughs> you know <laughs> Like it's so much different. And that's what I'm, that's my point It's like, sure. You're a cyborg. That's great. I'm not, I'm not even claiming to be a cyborg. I'm just saying like augmenting our capabilities with implants directly, if designed well, is a psychological and fundamental change. There's a difference between that and picking up a tool. And that's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. And so what, what are the ethical implications there? You said like it's different psychologically, it's different ethically. How do you how do you see the ethics changing? Well, I don't really see it changing um, right now because, I mean, just like uh, well, I mean, let's put it this way: there were laws that were enacted in certain states that um, were like uh, anti-chip laws, like don't no chip implants here kind of thing. And uh, the odd thing was in some circumstances, I actually agreed with the initial premise of the law, and then they went a little too crazy. Um, hmm. But the initial premise, for example, like I think Georgia and Tennessee had this kind of similar law. And um, <clears throat> the initial premise, I absolutely agree with, which was that you couldn't mandate a chip implant for any reason. Like the state couldn't do it. Um, companies couldn't require it. Um, and I kind of agree with that. Like that, that makes sense. Um, hmm where they went a little crazy was like, then they were saying you couldn't get one at all. Anybody who implanted one was going to get fined and jailed. And um, you know, anybody who, any company that incentivized it even, who even suggested it was going to get a massive fine. I'm like, now you're talking about totalitarianism. Um, and you know, like this is, you know, the new GOP party um, totalitarianism is kind of their thing. So um, <laughs> I was like, what happened to the free market guys? I thought you guys were the party of like, open markets and commerce and, you know, capitalism, but anyway, whatever, <laughs> we can go anywhere you want with that. But, <clears throat> but the point being that like, ethically speaking, 
Um, right now, there's no issue because it's 100% voluntary. It's people that want to do it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of like, I, I kind of think in, on some level, it's kind of silly because it's like <clears throat> asking 30 years ago what the ethics behind getting a eyebrow ring were. Mm-hmm. Like, where is this going to go? Oh my God, the ethics, right? Like it just, it seems dumb. Like <laughs> it's like so narrow myopically focused, but um, <clears throat> but the difference right now is that, you know, we're, we're talking about scope, right? We're not, mm-hmm. if we're just talking about transponder type implants that just move from a pants pocket to a skin pocket, really, you know, logically speaking, then it's, it's a dumb conversation, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, that plus right Mm -hmm. we start really start getting things that are integrated into our neurology and this is where kind of the line where like biohackers talk about you know they talk about the brain being themselves like you are your brain the body is like a spacesuit right Mm -hmm. for exploring the universe and it's your life support system and you can upgrade it now with cool things and all that whereas other people's literal experience of self is their body. Like they view it as like a spiritual vessel and <clears throat> I am my body. My toe is as much me as, as my mind. And I just think that's fallacy, but, uh, but it impacts their perception of questions like this. Mm-hmm. Um, is it like it's, you can look at religious things where it's like, it's immoral to cut your hair because it's God's vessel or it's part of my body. Why would I cut it off? Kind of, kind of thing. So it's really just about scoping identity. Like, what are you as a human being experiencing and living in this universe? Are you a three pound mass of jelly up here? Or are you all of this? Or, you know, where's the line? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a really crucial question. um, Because it, it does like, (laughs) if we say there's, there's maybe a, a spectrum with starting with the kind of chips you're talking about of just sort of a very specific functionality to help you engage with the outside world differently maybe a step up from that would be sensory implants, right? That's going to improve your senses in the way Neil Harbison has, or people have with magnet implants or whatever. And then another step up might be uh, the the prototypes you're talking about, where it's sort of helping you read your internal signals like heart rate and blood pressure and all that type of stuff. And then the next level, which, you know, we all see coming is with Neuralink or BlackRock Neuro or these the sort of like full-on neurological integration. And I think as we move up that scale, we get deeper and deeper into this question of how does this affect my identity? How does it affect who I am as a human being? And then I think at a certain point, it ceases to be an individual question and it becomes a collective question because once we're getting really high level functionality where there's a marked difference in terms of performance and, you know, all kinds of stuff with someone who has implant and someone who doesn't, then it's not a level playing field anymore. You know, the fact that someone else gets one will have a direct Im- impact on my sure. no longer free choice about sure. whether or not I get one. And, and well, I- let's let's just put a we'll put a pin on that because it's never been a level playing field, and it's not one now. The untouched tribes in Brazil and Africa have no idea what your iPhones look like. You know what I mean? So my point is, when you're talking about scope, you have to be very careful because you're not talking about a grand scope of humanity. You're talking about your box around the United States and getting a job in that environment, right? Like, I don't want to be pushy, but this is always kind of like, 
these kind of concerns come marching at me from a lot of angles. And I just have to be like, you're super arrogant <laughs> about your perspective uh, because it is perspective, right? And I'm not, I'm not addressing this at you directly. I'm just saying in general, like people with these concerns, they have such small, small um, viewpoints about what this actually means because there's dudes going to space and rockets Right, and there's like there's there the at the same time there's like babies dying of starvation, or like whole societies that are operating with sticks and wood, and and this is like this is the spectrum of humanity. So there is no exactly. like level playing field, and there's never going to be. And so <clears throat> the worries and concerns about like oh I have to get a cell phone to compete in the market now, like that was the argument with cell phones, and it's been that way. Forever, like with technology, right? So the only answer to that is to democratize, to make it so ubiquitous and and commonplace that it's easily accessible by everybody, uh, or at least the middle class, right? Like the lower end class of people, like poor people, are just not going to have access. But even now, that's that gap is disappearing because of technology. You can get free phones if you have no income or you have low income. You can get free phones. Mm -hmm. like a smartphone, like a Android smartphone with like free service and data, mm -hmm. like you can get these services. So not to say that you would want to get the government, you know, cheese of, uh, you know, implants of neural implants, but, but it is an option. And that's the point. Like there's still diehard people that don't want to get a cell phone and they don't have to, mm -hmm. they just, they're, they're missing out in certain aspects of society, but that's how society works. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you want to be a mountain man, right or live off the grid or whatever, you can do all those things. Mm -hmm. It's not impacting your ability as a human. It's just impacting your ability within the scope of what you think your life needs to be happy, right? Or whatever. Like, so, so I'd be very careful about presenting those kind of arguments because they just, um, they, they tend to be very, uh, <laughs> uh, not well thought out, right? Yeah. In terms of arguments. No, no, I, I definitely agree. And I appreciate that. I, 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 think it's important to note that like with almost every significant technological innovation, these types of concerns have been addressed. I mean, going from purely spoken word to written word, that was sure. a huge transformation from handwriting to the printing press, a huge transformation. And that's maybe the the first major transition where there's a lot of evidence just by the nature yeah. of, of the, the, sure. the transition. But a lot of people, like if you look at the early printed books, they all have a very long preface which are just full of existential doubt about like, I'm putting my soul onto these pages. I don't, dear reader, I don't know what you're going to do with this. Please have mercy on me. Treat me well. There was this, this really deep sense in which the words that were written were a part of the self. And there's this deep anxiety about what's going to happen now that it's mass produced and anone can do anything with it. It's not a one-to-one -one exchange, like what's going to happen. Right. And so now to even us, that seems like anachronistic. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Like even the idea of capturing souls in a photograph, like that kind yeah. of like, what is this? And is it a bigger meaning? And anyway, go, go ahead. Yeah. I just think it's interesting. No, no, no. I, I think it, it definitely isn't. And on the one hand, you can see it as sort of ridiculous and anachronistic, but on the other hand, you can see there's, there's really a deep truth to that in that it, it does fundamentally change a relationship to one another, a relationship to the world. And you have, you know, the, the whole class of, of celebrities and public figures where there are millions of people who feel like they know this person and this person doesn't know any of them. Right. And that's, that's very strange. And I don't think as a society, we've dealt with that very well. We don't know how, like, what, what does that mean? And, and a lot of celebrities, I think yeah. suffer a lot 
psychologically because of that. It's the it's the growing pains of this change. And, and actually, I watched this very interesting, um, whatever, modern day documentary YouTube video about uh, the change of celebrity when Twitter and those kinds of one to many um, kind of broadcast things became possible because before that everything every communication from a celebrity was filtered through a PR company mm -hmm. you only saw the best of a person you only whatever and it was a very um, kind of thing and and now the humanity of these celebrities is being brought to bear um, and people are kind of getting like disgusted with it <laughs> you know what I mean like oh <laughs> these are just regular dumbasses who look great on screen but you know it's almost like bringing them down be, because because of this level of access to the real person I, and 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 it's not polished and it's not gone through this machine of you know producing a celebrity so it's it, yeah. it's interesting and i do think that there's always you know as you said like growing pains to different technologies and their impact on society it's yeah it's i mean there's whole areas of study of of how this technology impacts society like people mm -hmm. doing their phds on it yeah yeah and i i think the kind of innovation we're talking about really does present a special case to my mind in that it seems to be when we talk about implants and the like increasing integration of biological and technological systems, I think we're quickly reaching a point at which, you know, we'll, we'll soon be able to say that like we are taking the reins with evolution. We can decide the, the kinds of thoughts we want to have, our capability to think, our capabilities to interact with the world in a way that we've never done before, right? We've always had the option to, you know, lift weights and, and go for a run, right? Or sure. change our diet. But this is, we're, we're quickly reaching the point where we can change our fundamental makeup, right? And I think that mm -hmm. that does present a, a whole nother set of, of ethical and, and philosophical considerations that we're really poorly equipped to deal with. So on the one hand, I agree with you, like it's, it's sort of silly to just idly speculate and get get all worked <laughs> up about things that we, we have no idea what it's actually going to look like. But at the same time, if we don't spend time thinking about these things and really trying to work through the issues uh, ahead of time, like we're going to be blindsided and it's not going to be pretty, you know, like I, I think. Yeah, that, no, I, I understand what you're saying. Like even just the idea of like, you know, I try to, I make the two comparisons, spell check and GPS. Hmm. Um, these are two technologies that really hit the scene pretty hard and, and um, nobody has really paid much attention to them, but they're fundamentally um, changing people's understanding, understandings of things. And so hmm. if you use a tool um, to improve yourself, it, it's great. Technology is great. And so hmm. like GPS and spell check, spell check is the number one thing. I was a, used to be a very terrible speller, hmm. bad just every word was like red line, right? Yeah. Um, and I came up in a time where spell check was not the norm. Like mm -hmm. I was I was using computers, but then like Microsoft Word got spell check and it was turned on by default. And I'm like, what is this, right? Mm. Um, so I decided early that <clears throat> I would try to challenge myself to not get any red lines. Mm. And so in just using the tool and typing along, I would try, I would like try to improve myself um, and the same with GPS, like I was kind of always lost and, and, uh, you know, just kind of fundamentally couldn't find my way around anyway. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to, um, figure it out. Like, I don't hmm. want to have to rely on the GPS that one. I'm not so great at, like, I'm, I'm good at like what I'm found myself being good at is waypointing. Like I can, I can understand directionals pretty good and map things out in my brain. So like just the other day we drove 
to this place to pick up a table and it was in the woods and it was like a right, right, left, left, right, left, right. Like it was just crazy into the woods. And I yeah. said, you know what? On the way back, I'm going to try to remember my way out of here mm-hmm. and um, rather than GPS it. Right. And so yeah. I had the GPS on, but it was quiet. It was put on silent and then just had it down below. And um, I made it out. Like I made all the turns. And one time I was like, oh, turn around. Cause I remember, you know, but, yeah. but that is a choice. And the problem is, most people chose to just lean on the technology heavily, mm-hmm. right? And so they don't choose to learn or try to improve themselves with it. In fact, some are actively choosing to not do that. Why would I learn about the fact if I can look it up anytime I want, mm-hmm. right? That is a fundamental, it has nothing to do with technology. That is a fundamental difference of people. There are people who are curious and want to learn about a thing and will mm-hmm. use the tools available to do that and improve themselves. And there are people that won't. And the mm-hmm. mass majority of people are in the people who won't category. You can't solve that problem. This is, again, I, I hate to like poo-poo the idea that we need to think about these problems and come up with solutions. I agree we do, but I think the problem is more fundamental than, than what you're focusing on. I don't think it's technology related at all. I think it's critical thinking skills. It's analytical thought. It's you can't teach somebody to be curious is part of the problem. And so, right, but, but we can highlight <laughs> the need to do so in this new technological context. So like my experience yeah. with spell check has, was actually the opposite. Like I was from a very early age, very focused on spelling, like mm. really studied hard and was like a great speller. Now, I mean, I live in Spain, so that's part of it. I don't speak English every day. Um, but sure. the combination of that and spell check has actually made me a worse speller. Like I've gotten lazy. Yeah. I haven't, I wasn't focused on, I just kind of took it for granted that I wasn't going to lose my skills and by not paying attention and, and getting lazy with, with spell check, like my skills have gotten worse. And it's something I've, I've recently become aware of and started yeah. focusing on it. And the same way you described using your, your GPS is something I do with spelling. Like I'll turn it off and then check at the end and, and try and use it as a tool for learning rather than. Uh, a mental yeah. crutch that that makes my mind weaker and with so, with, with, with gps my, point, my point is that it's like i, I mean i i'm i'm on board like i i agree but my i think the focus uh needs to be on educational technology like and like the idea of for example like um <laughs> I, I forget what the term's called but i think it's called like unschooling where you kind yeah. of like destructure things and yeah. just new approaches um uh, uh, just what you said, why it's important to, to be able to think critically. Like so many people can just need, um, they just want to learn steps, step one, step two, but they don't understand why they're taking those steps. They don't mm-hmm. understand what the relevance is, significance is mm-hmm. that, and, and school structures teach steps, mm-hmm. right? Learn these facts, regurgitate these facts. These are the steps for math, but not fundamentally why. And, and, I, I, again, I think it's very hard to try to convince somebody to be interested in a the subject they're just not interested in. But mm-hmm. um, I think at a at a fundamental level, you can show somebody why it's important to to think about bigger pictures and like think about the reasons why on so many different things. Even even something as mundane as like geometry. Why is this interesting? Why is this important? And let's let's explore those bigger uh, curiosities because learning a thing you know improves your perception of reality mm-hmm. that's just the bottom line and if you're not improving your perceptions of reality and your ability to interact with the world that's that's the only thing that really should be taught right everything else is just you know vocabulary really but not the rules of language right mm-hmm. as it were like to learning in general so 
Um, technology can be a, a, an improvement there too. Like there are technologies that are like kind of gauging emotional response and, and mental alertness. Um, like what's interesting to, to a student? What's, what's, what are they finding um, agreeable? Or what are they zeroing in on and why? Like the figuring out the why are they interested in it? That's the hard part. And if there's nobody behind the wheel of this technology, they're just going to be like, you're not showing enough emotional attachment to the subject matter. Rah! You know, <laughs> you know, it's going to be a terrible implementation of that technology. But, but this is the, uh, <clears throat> this is the point is, is um, yes. I, I, I mean, you're right in saying we are exploring technological, the, the edge of technologies here that, that will fundamentally change our minds like the, the, the things that make us us, right? And, um, and our bodies, like genetically speaking. And so they are, they are different from other previous technologies. And, the, and the, the problems aren't different though. <laughs> They're yeah. kind of the same, same old, same old. But um, that's why I'm trying to get past, I'm trying to look at the meta problem, right? Mm -hmm. Beyond like, how do we address a particular problem with a particular kind of technology the way, and, and really it's just about empowering people uh, to think better, basically. So, so that I think that's a crucial point, and one that keeps coming back and in, to all the sort of thinking and conversation I'm having around this stuff is, is how can we use technology to make us better thinkers, better perceivers, more aware, rather than just like technologically dependent drones. Basically, it's like yeah, yeah. if rather than outsourcing all of our cognitive ability and, and sensorial capabilities, how can we enhance them? How can we make our yeah. mind and body better integrated rather than disintegrated, right? And I think that is yeah. something I, very few people are talking about. And it's, I think that it needs to be a part of the conversation. It's like, how can technology make us more human and better humans rather than well, just mindless yeah. blobs? I, I think you're, you're, tripping, you're tripping over this one thing and it might be language, but you're saying, how can technology make us? And what I'm saying is we can't, it can't. We need to make ourselves. And how do we convince ourselves? How do we how do we enlighten ourselves to the idea that this is important? That's going to be the trick. It's like um, it's like the fundamentals of dealing with raising kids, for example. Mm -hmm. Like how do you how do you communicate all the important things to them um, so that they're functional people and they can think great on their own and like. They don't mm -hmm. need, you know what I mean? It's the same questions. It's just on to, a larger scope. Yeah. And then I right? think the answer there is you have to, to demonstrate its use, right? In both cases, right? And it's what the world needs, I think, is examples of people who are developing this type of technology and using it well. And people need to see, oh, there's a difference. The people who use it in this way are happier, healthier, more fully realized human beings. And the people who are using it just to achieve short-term goals or get more likes sure. or whatever are having different outcomes. Are you, um, how old are you? 37. Okay. So I'm, I'm about eight years older than you, but I think we're past that point. Um, both of us, because mm. we are looking at life from a different lens. Right. Mm. Um, and we are looking at it logic, more logically like that, like demonstrate the use. Ah, I see the point. I see the reason I should be eating my carrots and mm. not the candy, but mm humans in general, particularly young people, which is where you need to start with this kind of educational process, they don't think like that. <laughs> you know, we didn't when we were kids. And so demonstrating use, um, you can, you know, uh, just at a, at a fundamental level, uh, for, for a time, I was thinking like, why am I trying to do this stuff that like, 
I think is cool and good for people or ultimately like is fun. Why don't I just get into guns, tobacco, and like drugs that are legal, but still drugs like, you know, caffeine, all the bad things people know are bad for them, but do anyway. And they're like super addicted to them. So, um, you know I mean? Cause there's lots of money in that stuff because people make the wrong choice all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is my point is um, getting, getting to people, you know, a lot of kids are curious by nature. Like almost all of that, I'd say 99.9%, uh, almost fundamentally, it's a part of humanity. And it's somewhere along the line, it's beaten out of them. Um, and, and that could be the fault of so many things, right? Society, technology, parents, whatever. Um, but I think that's the key. Like you need to keep that curiosity alive and you know, fuel it to be broader scoped. Like how do I... You know, I, I'm curious about all these things. I want to learn all this stuff. Kids ask tons of questions because they want to know. They're, they're curious. And so mm-hmm. that's, I think that's like the key element here is like figuring out how to maintain that curiosity, treat it like the like glowing ember that it is, because that will fuel better thought, more rigid and rigorous approaches to understanding what what it is you're looking at, what, what, are you, what it is you're interacting with, who you're interacting with. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's at the core of what we're talking about, which is trying to, to uh, think better, mm-hmm. is, is there's, this, there's this underlying curiosity. Yeah, yeah, and, and along that line, I wanna go back to something you said about maybe being like a fundamental fallacy in identification with, with the body. And I, mm-hmm. and I think uh, if we're talking about hair, I'd agree with you, but I do think there's, there's a lot of evidence and I definitely see it in, in my work as, as a therapist and in my, my personal life. Um, there, I would argue that there is no clear dividing line between mind and body and that there are many different forms of cognition and that they all interact with each other in, in very complex ways. And so what we think of as pure thought is not just a neurological process. It is neurological, but it's deeply informed by a whole series of physiological processes, which most of us generally aren't aware of, right? And so, yeah, for, I mean, take for granted. Yeah, and a really it's obvious example is even, like the way you think yeah. when you're hungry or full, right? That's sure. Yeah, the, you know? exactly. I was just going to say the hangry response, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, absolutely, your brain and body are fundamentally linked in so many ways, and like even like vagus nerve to digestion, and like yeah. there's a lot to explore there, and and you definitely like just hormones. They're so they're so inextricably linked. I'm not saying like. Mm-hmm. We're just floating independent in this spacesuit, but it, it. But what I'm getting at is that when you injure, you know, your kidney or your leg or whatever, um, you you are fundamentally unchanged. You have an experience of pain, or or you're having an experience, psychological experience, but you're fundamentally unchanged. But you get a head injury, and you can be a totally different person. And this is kind of my point is that like neurological function the function of mind is situated in the organ of the brain and the brain is degree. very, but you, you change you know. your gut microbiome and you're going to change your personality as well. That's, that's true. But, but by that is true. Um, you know, and change your, yeah, your heart absolutely. rate variability change. There's it's complex, right? And I, I, but it's I a, think, so it's the, a chemical effect on, on the brain is my point. Like it's, it's uh, it's not that the bi- microbiome is where you're thinking it's the microbiome is outputting proteins in a different, different way that are now flowing in your bloodstream and causing all sorts of cascaded responses, which then change your thinking, right? Like it's still an effect on the brain that's causing those things and you can change it back. Like you can change the biome back and you'll have 
different thoughts. So just like getting injected with adrenaline or whatever, you're going to have these physiological responses. Your brain's going to take action, shut down blood flow to digestion. Like all these things are going to happen, but it's an, it's an effect on the mind. Right. And, um, right. But I, I think, I, I think we don't understand well enough. Like what is the difference between an endogenous, uh, hormone and an exogenous one, right? Because like, oh, sure. if, if it were as simple as like, I mean, so this is the thing that really worries me, right? Specifically in, in neuroscience, people are saying, okay, happiness is all about dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. Like that's it. Right. And right. So then well, if that, if it were that simple, then the obvious solution would be, we'll, we'll just get a constant drip feed of, of right. the adequate hormones and, and like away we go like constant nirvana, all problems solved, no need to worry about it. Except that the brain, the whole body's a normalizing machine. And then you would get, you you know, that would work for a time, just like cocaine works for a time. And then you would need more and it wouldn't work anymore. And and right. this is, you know, when it, when you want to write a book on things we don't know, that's, that's a tome, right. But, um, right. but, you know, oversimplification is a problem. And, and I agree. Like Exactly. And, and yeah. I think this becomes a very important issue when we talk about the technology that hasn't yet arrived, but if we're talking about sure. technology that's specifically designed to enhance who we are as humans, our brain function, whatever, if it doesn't take the body into account and doesn't take this effect, like the normalizing effect into account, I think we're in for a very rough ride, right? And I, yeah. I, I think there needs to be a better conversation around how can we take the whole organism into account to optimize our experience <laughs> as humans, rather yeah. than just looking at specific neurons or, you know, regions of the brain. Yeah. Well, I think this is where, like anybody who says, like, why are we trying to get to Mars when we need to focus on X, right? All mm -hmm. the scientists should focus on X. Well, that's not how wor anything works. Like, there's parallel efforts in all areas, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm encouraged by the fact that, you know, Neuralink and all these things, you know, they're, they're getting some headlines, but there are people working on got biome there are people working on all these things all these areas they just don't get as much media coverage mm -hmm. and i'm i'm very excited about some of those projects actually like um got biome is actually very interesting to me and i, I was i <laughs> i did this um i did this thing where <laughs> i drove across the u.s when i was a kid uh mm -hmm. with my girlfriend and, and her brother and we were in this little car, we drove for a month and a half and to save money for gas, we just bought the cheapest crap food we could find. And my thing was like, I think it was like 49 cent bean burritos at Taco Bell. And so I like for a month and a half, I systematically and fundamentally destroyed my gut, Yeah. right? By the time I got back to civilization or whatever, when I got back, I had the worst uh, problem i would eat anything anything at all from a bean to to an apple to anything and it would just have horrific gas just mm -hmm. terrible like you know prescribable bad gas and so the doc was like well you've you fucked up your gut and there's two ways to go about it one it'll take about seven years to straighten itself out or and in that time you can take like beano and probiotics and all this shit and try to try to help it or we can do a poop transplant yeah <laughs> and i was like what's this now? He's like, yeah. yeah, we take poop from somebody and we, we sterilize you and we put it up there and, uh, it does its thing and it recolonizes. Yeah. And I was like, but it's someone else's poop. Right. <laughs> and I was like 19. Right. So I was like, yeah. hell no, I'm the, no, no. And it, it took almost to the day on the dot seven years for, for my gut to figure itself out again. And, um, yeah, like, 
there's a lot of stuff with like autism and all this stuff where people are exploring different things, Mm -hmm. different possibilities, um, getting different results. And um, it's all super, super interesting Uh, because like even the more bizarre stuff, but is more relatable, like stories like um, there's a condition where you have a gut biome where your gut literally has the bacteria in it that produce alcohol. And so you are constantly drunk because it's producing ethanol in your gut, your, your own, you know, fermentation system. And, um, and it's a problem because it's, it's not a high level of ethanol, but it's a constant feed of ethanol that destroys your liver and makes you cognitively not function. And like, yeah, it's like, (laughs) you know, some people would call that Nirvana, but (laughs) you know, um, it's this bizarre thing of, you know, and the idea that, that it's such a complex, even the body itself, uh, your whole body is like, I I forget what the actual number is, but I think it's around like 20 to 28% foreign bacteria makes up the bulk of your body like floating in your blood sitting in your gut like just everywhere in your body is like cells that have none of your dna and it makes up you and so you know you throw onto that bizarre um foods that have different chemicals in them it's like eating too much nutmeg can kill you and like you know it's a weird chemical factory and you are just sliding along like you know trying to trying to uh, maintain this life support system right yeah yeah, definitely. Weird. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I think if, if technology is going to be a net gain, like this type of technology is going to be a net gain mm-hmm. for humanity, it needs to start taking this level of complexity into account. Right. And and the yeah. part that, that worries me <laughs> is that like, because of, I don't know, technical difficulties or like imbalances in funding or whatever, like the brain is is a major focus and i think you know it's, it's very complex yeah. and it has a lot of power and and that's it's important obviously but if we look at the brain in isolation we're missing out on a on a huge range of, of very important influences that i think yeah i don't know i i, I would just so i I'd, I'd recently discovered this device called the, the sensate right which is rather than working like neuralink or like a, a lot of programs that are trying to go directly to your brain for well-being it's working through the vagus nerve. And there's there's a series of devices that work with electrical stimulation for the vagus nerve. And this, as far as I know, is the only one that's working through sonic waves, right? It's it's very low frequency sound that's mainly not audible, but creates vibrations in your thoracic chamber and yeah. starts, you know, changes your vagal tone, right? And that's paired with yeah. audible uh, oral sensations as well. And they have some sort of algorithm to coordinate those. Um, nice. And it's it's... That to me is a technology that's kind of moving in the right direction where it's rather than intervening sort of at the end where you see symptoms, like I, w- I would consider our emotional states to mainly be symptoms of physiological processes, right? And and rather than just working with the end game, it's I think it's really interesting to work with like the raw material, right? And and I- So I'm I'm a big believer in not treating symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, but I, but I think one of the things that you are- um, Again, this is parallel, right? So there are these technologies that are working on these different um, aspects of the body. What I think the brain is so interesting is not just because it's this myopic focus on like, you know, just let's talk to some neurons and forget the body. But I think it's going to be extremely important to be able to actually start interacting with the brain to understand better what's happening in the body because everything comes to the brain. The brain is connected to every square inch uh, of your body 
vagus nerve, but every autonomic system, if you can actually monitor signals uh, that you're not consciously able to monitor, like, oh, like, why is my heart rate going up, you know, or mm -hmm. why is this thing happening? I think, I think opening up that bandwidth, as Elon Musk has talked about in the past, that bandwidth for the neural interactions will open up a ton of areas of research that will inform, uh, you know, research on the body and vice versa. And I, I don't think it's this kind of, um, <clears throat> I don't think that there's a risk of, um, you know, being so caught up in this narrow focus on just the mind. Uh, I think that the technologies that are being developed by these different companies are going to be huge enablers for um, not just research, but the companies that are working on these kind of things. Like if you can imagine being able to stimulate the vagus nerve and everything, but then also see feedback exactly what you, exactly what's happening with the with the brain connection to it and then adjust your approach i mean this is you know this is powerful stuff right and i think that um there's going to be amazing things that become possible uh, just by having information like it's an information enabling technology and that's that's what's i think so intriguing about it definitely but i i, I guess i think there's a, there's a fundamental difference between technologies that are gathering information and technologies that are having a direct influence. So like my worry is like, if, if we were to get the implant before all the data is in, which is going to happen, uh, we're going to start influencing systems uh, that we don't fully understand. And that's going to inevitably yeah. have unintended consequences. Right. Oh, for sure. That will happen. Like, as I said before, absolutely that will happen. And this is the um, just like explorers, setting sail on the ocean or people going to the bottom of the ocean, you know, like people going to the moon, like there are going to be super risky things that happen and society will be forged and changed by it. Mm -hmm. It just will like even, even like social media and the idea that like, Oh, you can get addicted to your phone. That's new. Like, Oh, these companies actually understood that that's a thing. And mm -hmm. then they tried to improve, like improve the addiction, like and make it more powerful. Wow. You know, but, but this is the matter of course, this, people will be hurt by these new developments. But then just like anything in the hype cycle, mm -hmm. ultimately we're hoping for net gain. And I think that's true of most any technology, even nuclear technologies, like we blew up some people and that sucks. We bombed the hell out of a couple cities, mm -hmm. but it was only two out of all the nukes that we do have. Mm -hmm. And out of atomic research, now we're close to having fusion generators that almost have nearly unlimited, I mean, comparatively to what we have now, unlimited energy, like mm -hmm. we, we could unlock these kind of things. And so, uh, yeah, it, the, the bad things can and absolutely and will happen. Um, and I, I think it's just a matter of keeping that, trying to guide the missile, right? Trying mm -hmm. to guide the rocket and say, okay, great, we got brain implants. Some people are going off and going to shock their brain or try to like reprogram it. Good for them. They're on their own mission. I want to do this mission over here with the technology that's available to me. And that I think that's the important critical aspect is that we have people that are going to take that technology that now enables them to do that. And, and they do that, right? Because these people over here are going to do the bad thing. They just will. And so they're going to be on their own experiment, right? In life. And that's just where they, where they are. Um, and that's great. Like, I think that's, um, in a bizarre way, um, that's just the trials and tribulations of, of anything that, that humans endeavor to do. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think there's always think, terrible with the good. Definitely agreed. Agreed. And I, th- I think the, the nuclear example is, is an interesting one because it's, it shows, I think it highlights a lot of the sort of essential dynamics, which are on the one hand, yes, everyone will do what they want to do. But on the other hand, it still is important to try and have international agreements and some sort of yeah. rule of Guidance, law right? and guide and yet, the things it's and imperfect yeah, yeah. and imbalanced, but it, it does, I think it's a net good. Um, yeah. It also, you know, the fact that it's regulated means that there's a huge imbalance in power and like companies with nuclear weapons, or sorry, not companies, countries with, with uh, <laughs> nuclear firepower uh, just have a lot more political and, and economic clout in the world than companies or countries that don't. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and I think we'll see similar sort of dividing lines between individuals or companies or countries that have our early adopters and the technology that does work when, when it really works, it's going to be the equivalent of having like a nuclear bomb, like your ability to, to perform is going to be like exponentially. I think the reality though, is that that rollout, that process of rolling out is going to be so slow that that's, that the gap between is not going to be, it's not going to exist. I think that the gap is going to exist with the development and rollout of a sufficiently advanced AI because that technology development requires no, uh, it, it's self-starting. It's like a self-oxidizing explosive, right? It, it, once it starts and can learn on its own and uh, like be that kind of thing, it, it will create a gap so rapidly, right? That the have-nots will always be have-nots, right? Is the idea, is the, is the fear. Um, And I think that's more relevant than fundamentally changing, like, and this comes from my experience of of implants, right? um, Implants is a a slow business, right? It takes 45 days for a very interested person to decide to buy. And then I've had people hold on to that product for over a year before they actually put it in. So the idea of changing, like, creating a gap so rapidly between countries that do and do not have like neural augmentation technology is, I don't think that's, it's too slow, right? Mm. To get 300 million people suddenly surgically upgraded in such a short amount of time with, without like, you know, communist China saying everyone will be upgraded now. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's not an opportunity to cape to, to, to create such a huge gap in that way of like first movers, but not, not along the national lines, but maybe along the lines of just early adopters and not. And I think that, yeah, I think there's going to be early adopters, but on the other hand, there's always the problem of upgrades, right? Um, Mm. (laughs) So the early, you know, the early versions of Neuralink coming out now are so many electrodes. They can only talk to very small areas of the brain. There's other like stentrodes, there's other technologies, but they're limited. It's like um, getting the cyborg eye implant that has 14 pixels that can kind of indicate light to your brain. Do you want to get that now or do you want to wait? So it's more powerful, you know? So, so it's kind of self-limiting in that way. I think there's going to be early adopters and it's going to be very interesting, but it's going to be limited, limited effect. Um, It's just like early cell phone adopters, the giant brick, right? You had not a lot of people had them when you had, it. it was like, Ooh, that guy's got a cell phone, but like, what did it really enable you to do, right? Yeah. Like it was limited. And so by the time the smartphone hit the scene, 
Um, that gap, the, the interesting thing here is that technology gaps are existing for shorter and shorter periods of time before it's democratized. So mm -hmm. electricity, the electrification of the country took many, many decades, but now everybody has power. Like uh, when refrigerators came on the scene, like literally uh, once people, majority of people had power, refrigerators came available and there's like a, a ramp of like 35, 40 years before most everybody had a refrigerator. Then when TVs came on the scene, it was like 20 years. And then by the time like home computers came on the scene, it was like 15 years and then cell phones, it was like 10 years. And so is this ever like shrinking gap uh, between the first movers, early adopters, and then ubiquity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fundamental important aspect of, of these technology, of technology development in general. But, but again, <clears throat> there's a difference between these external devices right, that are easy to buy, throw away, upgrade, keep moving, keep things moving, and an implant, right, that requires surgery. And yeah. even an implant that requires just an injection, that's a bit more than just a, hey, I'm going to pop out to the T-Mobile shop and get a new phone, right? Yeah. And so I don't think there's going to be like a Neuralink Starbucks combo where you can get a coffee and a brain implant, right? It's just not, <laughs> it's not ever going to be that. And so, um, so there's a kind of a self-limiting thing there too. Like, you're going to get it for a good reason. And almost surely there's going to be a better version next year that somebody else is going to get. And there'll probably be these little, you know, inequalities here and there throughout this kind of ecosystem of humans that have augmentations and not. But by and large, I think that there's going to be availability, general availability for, for the majority of the societies that are interested in doing that. Of course, there's going to be other societies that just aren't. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's probably going to be weird, surprising societies like, like even just modern Africa today who, you know, they lack infrastructure. They've always lacked infrastructure. So when they were like, Hey, everybody should have a phone. They just went directly to mobile, right? They leapfrogged all the infrastructure. So they have no wires anywhere. Right. But they have cell phones and like solar panels and like they trade currency in cell phone minutes. Right, is like it's a actually traded currency is cell phone minutes. It's like holy shit, like we're gonna see these weird applications of stuff at different areas of humanity, which is I think they're gonna be very interesting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I guess I'm I'm curious to see how that combines with AI and, and quantum computing, which I think are clear cases of of yeah, there's gonna be the haves and the have-nots, you know. And it's <clears throat> it's one yeah. thing to talk about a neural implant when it's just um when it's not connected right but when yeah. it is connected to the internet is, to ai yeah. to all that stuff that's gonna be i'll say times. this i i think it's gonna be wild times but also um when those kind of things become commercially available right i don't think the lines are going to necessarily be all that clear cut um because <clears throat> like um like just like kind of imagine you know, <laughs> we, we, once once there's some level of ubiquity with the connectivity devices, neural mm -hmm. co connectivity devices, um, then you have like there's going to be services like, hey, uh, connect up to our our digital you know neural cloud uh, and just like Amazon Web Services, right? Like you pay 11 bucks a month and you get like a big giant web server, but it's digital neurons and like oh, but you know. Bluehost over here has better brain services. You know what I mean? It's just going to be this weird thing. And and again, I think it's driving toward democracy or democratization of of, of that uh, and accessibility of of these kind of technologies. 
And of course, there's going to be tears. But the important thing about this to understand is that um, <clears throat> the, the interesting thing about modern uh, modern age, like middle class versus like ultra rich, right? There's so very few things in life that like super rich people can do that the middle class doesn't have a version of, right? Like rich people fly on their own planes, but you can get a an economy class or business class or even a first class ticket, right? Um, you know, rich people can go into space, but that's only gonna that's only a purview for the next couple decades at most, right? Like you're gonna be able to go into space before you personally and me, hopefully, before we kick off, we're gonna be able to go, you know what? It'd be cool to like spend the spend the two-week vacation money on i'm gonna go for a couple orbits right like that'll be an option right and so my point is that <clears throat> uh the gap between have and have nots generally speaking between which is the general populace the the middle class and and kind of up from there accessibility is very rarely gated it, it's just tiers of mm -hmm. service like you know, I, I own my car, I drive it around, rich people get chauffeured around, right, mm -hmm. in the fancier car, but it's still a car, right, and I still have a car, <laughs> like, you know what I mean, there's just very, very few things, like, they have yachts, but yeah, I can go get a party boat, and like, you know, go or buy a cruise ticket or whatever, like, there is going to be access, and that's the important thing, is that technology enables that, and so just by sheer nature of commercial access to an AI augmented, uh, augmented outside of like, let's say military, right? Like some government gets AI and applies it directly to military and it's closed and it's just for that. There's gonna be some weird lines there for sure. But when you're talking about general human societies, Spain might come out with an awesome AI and it'll be like, cool, we're all on the internet. I'm gonna hook into Spain's little you know, cloud and learn some Spanish. Hola, right? Like, you know, you know, like that's the weird thing that's going to happen with with this kind of approach is that, you know, connectivity uh, and, and rapid technology development is only going to improve that kind of thing and improve access. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. We're in this constantly strange middle ground of, as you said, like on the one hand, it's so, there's so many possibilities. It's almost ridiculous to talk about, but at the same time, it's like, we need to be talking about it, you know? And it's- Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's good to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I I know we've, maybe one one last question or maybe, yeah. yeah. I guess, sure. so something I've been thinking about a lot is the way that our society, roughly speaking, the sort of dominant, political economic models that are sort of call the shots in the world. Like we are all <clears throat> part of a, a tradition of cultures that when confronted with difficulties or limitations have opted for modifying the external environment. So like, I think you could put this back to like the decision between uh, to become an agricultural society when like humanity was confronted with a food sh shortage, right? And some, some societies chose, okay, well, we're gonna just pick specific plants, plant these seeds, stay in one place and like create agriculture. And other societies said, well, there's no food here. We'll just go somewhere else, you know? And so that to me is, is a fundamental just difference in the approach to life, 
right? And, and yeah. we, as a society, people who have you know developed all these technologies have consistently made the choice to figure out a way to, to change the environment, to change the circumstances in order to continue thriving and or dominating the world, right? And there are other societies, uh, mainly what are you know called indigenous societies that made a different choice, which is, well, I'm just gonna adapt to the circumstances that are at hand. And you know, as a consequence, didn't develop all these technologies, but I think arguably have uh, on as a, as a whole when taken to to account like their effect on the world, uh, not just for for humans but for for all species have a much more beneficial effect, right? Mm -hmm. um, because they're they're more focused on living living in you know harmony or in, in balance with the natural environment. We're more focused on dominating, controlling, and, and making it fit what, what we think are our needs. Sure. You know, and so so to me the, the You're forgetting the third the third tier, which is the marauder class. They <laughs> okay. they opted to just raid the farms. <laughs> right. Okay. Yes. But, good yeah. point. Good point. Good point. Um yeah, and there's just probably all other, you know, all kinds sure, of other yeah, subclasses yeah. in between. But but yeah. just in, in terms of I'm I'm really interested in trying so, to explore whether there's a way that we can learn from this mentality and use it to inform our technological development. Because it, right. seemed, it seems clear to me that if this new technology that we're contemplating, it's gonna give us basically superhuman powers. And if those superhuman powers are just uh, an exponential augmentation of the same impulse to make the world fit our very limited notion of what's good for us or what we want or need, uh, which I think is, it's very clear we're, we're very bad at judging that. Um, <laughs> If it, if it does that, like, it's probably not going to be good, right? What, well, what, I mean, yeah. Well, so, so, so just just, yeah, just humor me for a sec. Like, sure, is, sure. If, is there a way that we could take this sort of different approach and say, how, how could we make technology improve our integration into the environment, make the world a better place, right. be a net gain for the ecosystem? I have a long answer for this okay um i'll address the question directly first mm -hmm. and i'll say awareness um making things personal making those impacts personal making them part of your experience um there's a company that's doing these cube satellites now they're launching these satellites that image the earth every 24 hours the entire earth mm -hmm. and track changes not just site, you know, but track deforestation, track fire, track everything. Like you can mm -hmm. see everything and you can get a real sense of how the earth is a living thing, right? And the things that we're doing to it as society, whatever, uh, have real impacts. And and um, you can see, you, you will be able to see now uh, since more data is more information is collected, those impacts over time. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I think the answer is to make those technologies do what, a lot of technologies already have done for us, which is make us a more global society in terms of awareness. And you know, you're you're half a world away, literally. And we're talking. That's mm -hmm. like mind blowing, right? Like that impossible with, with you know. So so just making this um, a more felt experience in general, and and I think technology is going to be key in doing that. And mm -hmm. and everything's about perspective if you can make people understand each other and the impacts that their decisions make on 
themselves and their home and everything. I think that's just the way that, that to answer your question directly. But um, I was I was thinking like comparatively, right? So we're comparing this kind of society that's tribal, doesn't really have much impact on the world in terms of human society, but but has a more balanced approach to being living and integrated with nature mm-hmm. versus kind of our like dominate everything, right? And whatever. At the end of the day, the most fundamental, the most basic and most important question we all have is relevant to this conversation, which is what is the meaning of life? And and by that, I mean, we base everything else uh, of what we think is important on the answer to that question, which we don't have. But my point is, is their existence relevant? Earth will die one day in a giant fireball when the sun explodes, right? Like, or just becomes a red giant and consumes it. In that scope of universal time, right? Will it matter? Will it matter that they lived this more integrated life or not? Or we dominated the planet and drove it to extinction before it got consumed by the sun? Will either of those two outcomes matter? And matter to who and why? And and these are the most fundamental questions. So mm-hmm. given, if we collapse down, like do away with our individual lives and whatever meanings we're deriving from them and just look at one potential goal of like humans existing in 10 million years from now, then the answer to that is we dominate the shit out of everything. And we destroy things as we go, but we get off this planet, we get to another solar system, we expand because that's how we do it. If we were living more integrated lives, we would never leave the planet. And but but again, is that important? Does it matter that there's humans living on other planets somewhere else? Who knows? Like I I, I don't saying it's important. It might be, might not be. It's not. My I guess my my whole approach, my whole thought here is that. Uh, not to sound nihilist, but nothing matters, right? So yeah, no, inherently, yeah. I, I agree. Nothing, nothing does. It's meaning is is all context dependent. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, so if it's important to those societies to live integrated lives and stuff, or or you admire that aspect of it, and there's certain things about this society that that, that lives in the more domineering way um, that you don't like, I understand the appeal. Um, I just. I'm, I'm just taking this kind of, um, <laughs> I don't want it to be like a cop-out uh, or just like a, I'm giving up on the conversation, but I kind of rolling back again to this thing of just like, people are going to be people and it's just a wild ride. Like <laughs> there's, there's almost no point in trying to control any of it because the people living in the jungle are living their lives uh, just fine. And people that want to be like super robot, crazy people with three arms and two blue heads are going to be super crazy blue head people. Like it's just going to be what it's going to be. Um, I, there's going to be uh, death and suffering and terribleness. There always has been, there always will be. And there's going to be some really great lives lived as well. And yeah. I'm just trying to be on the great side and enable more people to live on the great side. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. I guess I, the only pushback I have there is, you know, the most people living in the jungle aren't, aren't living good lives anymore. They're, 
their habitat has been destroyed Impacted by, yeah. by you know all, all of us uh eating yeah. hamburgers and and soy milk and whatever and, and palm deforestation oil. and yeah palm oil all that stuff yeah yeah and it's um you know, so so I agree. The decisions of one has ha, do have an effect on the other, and and I, I think, the, I mean, the point you made about you know what is the context we're looking at, I think, is is really crucial. And I hadn't thought about it in terms of like the ten million year span, where it's like, mm-hmm. you're right. If we're saying what's what's a net gain for not even humans, but just life in ten million years, then yeah, we need yeah. to get off this planet because you know uh, asteroids are coming. Sure. But at the same time, if if the, and I think that that's that's relevant. That can't be ignored. At the same time, we're saying how can we optimize life during those ten million years before the disaster strikes? Then yeah, I yeah. think that the focus also needs to be on integration, balance, uh, respect, uh, you know, reciprocity, all kinds of values. That I I think I think it's very <clears throat> dangerous to say human nature is what it is, but because I, I think oftentimes what we consider to be human nature is a very thin slice of human nature that's heavily conditioned by political, economic, uh, and technological conditions, right? And so what yeah. we consider to be, what you and I might consider to be human nature is heavily conditioned by, you know, European history and the current state of affairs in, in you know, our political and economic sphere, right? And what, if you go to Bhutan and say, what is human nature to, you know, a, a villager living there, their answers can be very different. Right. And sure. so, so I think human nature is, is incredibly plastic and, yeah. and we have a, a very big influence on how, how we behave, how we think and how we feel on mass by affecting these sort of structural level influences. And I think yeah, technology is. I agree that like, um, yeah, human nature is uh, not to, not to equate human nature with all the terribleness. Um, there's mm-hmm. some really amazing things about human nature as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> generally speaking, our technology is advancing faster than our biology, right? In terms of evolution. Yeah. And there's very, there's a lot of monkey brain stuff still going on. That's pretty powerful. And mm-hmm. um, like, uh, I'll just give this an example. It's so infuriating, but um, <clears throat> in, in the small town that I used to live in, there is a highway and the highway has a bridge and the bridge was built in the fifties. And so it has this, the highway is flat. And then mm-hmm. the bridge has a slight bump. It's like, yeah, it's like a bump that you go over. So you can't see the other side, okay. right? You can't see what's on the other side of the bridge, but it's not like a giant thing. It's just barely like half a car height. You can't mm-hmm. see. And <clears throat> in- instinctively, Oh, and it has a cover. It's a covered bridge. Like it, there's, there's scaffolding and stuff above. So you drive through this thing and it's, very psychologically scaring to the monkey brain. So uh, every day there's a traffic jam at the bridge 24 hours a day because people slow down because they're, they don't know why they're slowing down, but they slow down because it's very scary. And then once they get to the crest of the bridge, they speed up and they slide, they fly down the other side. And, and I always laugh my ass. I'm like, God, this is such a monkey brain thing. Um, and it happens both directions in, in north and southbound on this, this bridge, this dual bridge. And um, it's so, you know, that's just, it, it describes human nature perfectly to me because there's so many things that happen uh, just based on feeling, right? And this is why feeling is the answer. And that's why I'm saying technologies that connect us and make us aware of things like impacts on nature, impacts on other people around the world, um, you know, all these things being aware of and, in a way that imparts feeling, right? And I think there's technologies that are going to improve that capability mm-hmm. of communicating feeling, not facts, right? Yeah. 
the, what's the feeling of destroying the home that we live in, right? What's that feeling? And that, that's going to be the powerful thing. That's going to be the thing that enables us to, to live the way that you're talking about. Yeah. 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 And sort through all the facts, you know, that's, I think that's something yeah. we're, we're slow to realize, but more information is only good up to a certain point. I think most of us are drowning in, in an overload of information. What we need- And, and a new a kind of information. Yeah, a new yeah. kind of, that's that's what I think this neural, in particular neural technology is going to enable, is a new kind of information. Because we are a, a limited in our ability to communicate types of information. And if we mm -hmm. can communicate like more fundamental, like it's the, 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 the picture of the earth from the moon, right? The classic, the blue dot, you know, blue ball, photo fundamentally changed people's understanding of, oh, we live on this rock mm -hmm. that's just floating out here and we're all on the same rock. Like that was a huge impact, right? Just mm -hmm. that one photo. And so mm -hmm. more of that kind of information. Um, it doesn't have to be a bunch of stuff streamed at you, but just like, you know, I, I think that's yeah. the, enabling that and the technology that got the people to the moon to take the photo and like, you know, all that stuff is what I'm getting at. And I think technology yeah. is, is an enabling thing. And if we take advantage of the technologies that are developed to enable better stories, to enable better, better understanding and feeling about what's happening around the world and, and with people and, and just life in general, I think that's yeah. gonna be a net gain. And again, we, we come back to the body there and I think feeling is, is exactly right because we've, we've evolved, you know, in, in our evolutionary context, all the information we receive is also a bodily experience. It includes emotion, it includes sensation, it includes feeling, and that is the sorting mechanism we use. And that's why we don't get overloaded in a natural environment. That's why we feel good in a natural environment. We feel at home because it all has a meaning. It has an effect on our body and our emotion. And what's so overwhelming, I think, uh, you know, at least one of the, the most important reasons why it's so overwhelming to have just, you know, endless Wikipedia pages is there's no emotional content there. Right. Our evolutionary right. filters aren't active. It's all just a mind game. And so if mm. technology could be used to reconnect, like exactly with that photo, right? What's significant about it is it gives you a feeling. And so you, yeah. you know where to put that in your internal universe. It's like, oh, that's important. I'll pay attention to that. And I think what's what's causing so many people to to continue suffering despite having all the information available of how to solve it is that. We don't know how to sort that information. We don't know what's important because we have no feeling attached to it, you know? And so if technology yeah, could yeah. bridge that gap, that would be amazing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I, well, it's the same struggles as always, like how to get, uh, how to communicate better stories to people. And yeah, I, but I, I think, um, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Great, all right, let's 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 leave it there. We've been going out for a all while right. now. Um, cool. Really appreciate your your insight, your time. This is yeah, sure. really happy to have this conversation with you. Awesome. Well, let me know if you have any uh, follow ups. Great. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. We'll be in touch. All right.